Let's dive in today to our message. We are in this series, Family Matters. And we've been in this series on family because our most influential relationships in our life are our families. Like before God established the, the church or the government, uh, he established family. And he relates to us as father. And Jesus is the son. That the family dynamic is so important to the heart of God. And today I want to look at specifically is the value on the next generation. Because we see in scripture, there's a, there's, a, there's a mandate for all of us to invest in the next generation. Whether you have children uh, or you, as Christina mentioned, you are a, a spiritual mother to some children or you have some nieces and nephews or you just have some children in your family life or maybe here through Catalyst. I know there are many of you who invest in my own children. Uh, then how, what is our responsibility for how we invest in the next generation Uh, Because we're going to see it's a responsibility, each and every one of us. God has given to us uh, to to steward and to honor him by investing in uh, the youngest people in our life, the generations to come. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray today as we open it up, God, we know that you will speak to us. So we posture our hearts, our minds to receive from you today, and it is in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Uh, If you don't, we'll have it on the screen. And we're going to read about nine verses of Scripture. And to give context to where we are, the narrative of our faith, uh, the Ten Commandments were just given. And in Deuteronomy 6, we see Moses gets a little more practical with some instruction for the Israelites, for uh, the people of faith and how they're to live. And here's what it says in the Scriptures. Verse 1, if you have your Bible, these are the commands, decrees, and the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. There he's speaking of the promised land given to the people of God, the Israelites. Of course, this happened before they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And it says this, that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so you may enjoy a long life. So here he says in this moment that there's a, there's a mandate upon you to pass your faith to the next generation, to not just think solely about your time here on earth, but ensure that your faith is impressed for generations to come. And then he gives a promise, so you may live a long life. There's a blessing on you for living according to the word of God and passing it on to the next generation. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, this next verse, some of you may be familiar with because Jesus actually mentioned these words in the Gospels. Uh, this is where he got it from, known as the greatest, uh, great commandment. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your Strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There's three things that Moses speaks to that I want to highlight um, on how we impress our faith to the next generation. And the first two points I want to draw out 
um, are, are really kind of focused on our own lives personally. And here's, here's why I think even Moses emphasizes it, and we're going to talk about it. Because how many of you know that when it comes to our children, whether you have biological children or there's children in your life uh, around you, um, children, uh, I'll put it this way, more is caught than taught. That, that, that we actually are teaching and training and impressing things upon our kids with a life that we live. If you've experienced that, can I get an amen? And that if you're a parent, this is especially important because they live with you. Um, I'd say it this way, that your values will become your kids' values regardless of what you tell them to value. That your priorities will become your kids' priorities regardless of what you tell them to prioritize. Uh, and then if you don't have children, let me just say this, as having three my own, I've noticed this, that the adults in my own children's life, that they're, they're watching, they're observing, they're taking notes. So often, my kids will come home from school or come home from somewhere we, we are, and they'll, they'll observe something in somebody else, a behavior, something someone says, and they'll, they'll come home and ask me questions about it. Why? Because they're taking notes, they're taking heed to how we live. Are you scared yet? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad you came to church? Um, no, but, but I want to encourage us today in the Word of God. And uh, let me just also say this, because here's the reality. Regardless of how, how good of a parent, how good of a person, how faithful to God you are, you are imperfect and there will be a gap. But aren't you grateful because of the power of God through, the, through Jesus Christ that he can fill the gap? Amen? That even in our own fallenness, our own imperfections, the scripture says this, Paul writes, his grace is sufficient. Now, it doesn't mean, come on, as he even said, because there's grace, we just throw up our hands. But it does say that even if we do fall short, even if we do have imperfections, his grace does cover the gap. So here's three ways. We can impress our faith upon the next generation. Again, more is caught than taught. So a lot of what I'm going to teach you is about the life that you're living. The last point will deal with all about impressing our faith on the next generation. So here's the first one, is that we have to first place a high value on the Word of God. The first thing Moses says is, these are the commands, the decrees, the laws the Lord God directed me to teach you to observe in the land. In other words, Moses says, listen, I want you to have a value on the word of God. I want you to hold to the words of God. He actually goes on to say that um, they would actually, he says, tie, bind them to your foreheads and your arms. And if you actually research this, they, there was something called then called phylacteries. And phylacteries, what they would do is that they would actually take some of the scriptures from the Torah, they would put it in a small leather box, and they would literally strap it to their foreheads and strap it to their arms. So that literally, wherever they went, the word of God was with them. They would also put it on their doorposts. Now, I'm not saying go home and start taping scriptures to your forehead. If you feel led to do so, do so. But the application is, in fact, uh, in, in this, this culture, in this context, as soon as a Jewish child was able to say their first words, they had them to start memorizing God's word. That, that they had them, because why? Because here's what they knew, and here's what I want us to communicate. They knew that the word of God, and we know that the word of God is not just any other book. Can I get an Amen. 
It's not a self-help book. It's not a historical narrative of what happened thousands of years ago. No, it's the living, breathing, life-changing, holy words of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Men and some women penned this book, but it was the Holy Spirit, God himself, who wrote it through them. It's the eternal word, the scripture says. Every single promise in this book will be fulfilled. Therefore, when we, when we read the Bible, when we approach the Bible, it's not one of many books in my household. It is the primary book of my household. It's not one of many of many voices I listen to, well, I listen to NPR, I listen to this talk show host, I listen to these self-help podcasts. No, there is nothing else other than this word that I submit my life more to. This is the holy word of God. These words, the scripture says, brings life to us. The words of Jesus, the Savior of our soul, said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen, I'm all about science, but he wasn't speaking about scientific fact. He was speaking about the living and breathing words of God. It has the power to set you free. It has the power. So we have, to, we have to, in our own hearts, place a value upon this book. These are the words of God. Psalm 119, David wrote, speaking about the word of God. He says this in verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Can I say one other thing? And listen, I said before, sometimes I step on toes, but I do it in love. I'm called to speak the truth in love. Uh, I, I wear slippers, not steel-toed boots, though. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you, okay? Uh, on a side note, if no one in your life actually tells you the truth, you're in a dangerous place in your life. And here's how you know something is, if from the Word of God, when it's true, it's, it's true even if I have a hard time accepting it. Here's what I want to say to you. Listen, we do not change the word of God to fit our lifestyle in 2022. We change our lifestyle to fit the word of God. This is the eternal truth. Cultural philosophies will come and go. Political ideologies come and go. Look at history. But you know one thing that has stood the test of time since the beginning of time, and it will stand the test of time into eternity? The word of God. So what do I submit my life to? Not what the right or the left says, not what the middle says, not what the newest cultural philosophy. I submit my life to the word of God. I'm sorry, I'm a little more fired up in second service. Something in here today, I don't know. But I'm telling you why, because it has the power to change our life. And I don't want to sit here and say, listen, it's just one of many books, that it's not infallible. It is the infallible holy word of God. So we have to elevate it in our hearts. This is what it is. Listen, I, I, I'm not, listen, we have a podcast, but I'm not a podcaster. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, I'm not up here telling you five steps to a better life. I'm hearing you tell you that Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose again, and because of that, everything has changed. Our life has changed, and this word is holy and inspired. Okay, I got, I got more in my notes, so I got to keep going. I'm going to preach for two hours. I know you all want me to, but I, I won't. You got Mother's Day brunch plans. I know, Mama. I'm gonna, we got to keep Mama happy, okay? I've learned that much in life. That's not in the Bible, but it, it should be. Come on, somebody. Just keep Mama happy. Uh, 
So he says here, how does a young person stay pure? By living according to your word. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians that we are to be washed by the water of the word. That word pure, purity means to be cleansed. There's a cleansing process that happens with the word. And here's the reality. Our hearts need to be cleansed by the word of God. Our minds need to be cleansed by the word of God. The Apostle Paul also said in Romans 12 too, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we, we, by the renewing of our minds, then we can test and discern, test and accept the perfect will of God. But it takes the word of God in our life. I want to give you a visual illustration of this. Because the word of God, you know, Paul gave this analogy of, of the water of the word. And the reality is that in our life, uh, there is, um, uh, um, there is, things happen and things that come into our minds, whether it be uh, media we intake, self-destructive thoughts, maybe negative words that were spoken over us by maybe a former boss, maybe an ex, uh, maybe there are, are just some, some cultural philosophies or ideologies that are just negative and not healthy for our minds, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And then what can happen is it can actually, it actually can muddy or create confusion in our minds to where we don't know what is the will of God. And what does Paul say? We know the will of God by renewing our minds. That, 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 that David says we are purified by it. So when we wash ourselves with the water of the word and we begin to allow that water to come on the inside of us, what was once unclear all of a sudden becomes clear. That all of a sudden we were wondering what is the will of God. Here's the Apostle Paul says, if you wash your mind in the word of God, then you will know the will of God. If you're wondering, should I marry this person or not, start by reading the Word of God. Should I take this job or not, start by reading the Word of God. God, what is my purpose? Start by reading the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says, if you know the Word of God, you can then discern the will of God. It may not give me the direct answer. Some of you might look through your Bible, God, should I marry Joe? Okay, I don't see Joe, you ain't in here, bro, okay? Not that, but when you fill your mind with the word, it enables you to discern his voice and his direction in your life. I love what uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian, says. He says, the Bible is a book, is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, and the book I want to die by. It is the living, breathing word of God. David wrote this in verse 35 of that same chapter. Direct me in the path of your commands, your word, for there I find delight. That word delight actually means extreme satisfaction. It means, it means extreme joy. You know, one of the top questions Googled last year was, where do I find happiness? Here's what David, in the canonized scripture, the holy inspired word of God says. You will find extreme fulfillment and joy in following the words of God. That's where we find joy. That's where we find fulfillment in doing the word of God. I love how Paul says it to the Roman church in Romans 2.13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous... 
but it's those who obey the law who are declared righteous. Here's what he says. He says he's speaking to a culture who knew the word. They were familiar with the word. They grew up in church. Come on. They went to Sunday school with the little felt boards. Come on. Uh, Anybody else had felt boards growing up? If you did, that's how you know you're getting older, right? Come on. (laughs) I had felt boards growing up. Um, That uh, they, they grew up knowing the word. But he says, be careful because that that you just don't know the word, but you actually do the word. As I was thinking about this this week, I was working out at the gym. And have you ever seen this at the gym? Or have you ever seen this type of person maybe out and about? Maybe you saw them today. If you did, don't point them out. However, have you ever seen someone with an overdeveloped upper body and underdeveloped legs? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, by your laughing, I'm sure you have. Uh, culture says they have chicken legs. Not Jeremy. Culture. <laughs> chicken legs, right? Like you see the bicep through the sleeve, but then you're like, where'd your calf go, right? Did you put your calf on your arm, right? And uh, they got a wide back, but there's like no quadriceps. And, and <laughs> but, but as I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, I mean, can I be real for a moment? I don't blame them. Like, my, my least favorite day of the week is leg day. Anybody with me? Like, if I have to miss a day of the gym, I will conveniently structure it so it's leg day that I miss, right? I'm like, I'll, I'll do back again. I'll do back twice. I'll do, I'll do arms three times a week, but leg day once, I try to get out of leg day, you know? I try to call in sick on that day. Because no one likes squats. Like, arm curls, let's go all day. A squat makes you want to take a nap afterwards, right? It just exhausts your body. But how many of you know, you know, even, uh, again, I, I am not this, but I have some personal trainer friends will tell me, is that actually leg day is the best day for you because most of your mus- muscle are, is in your legs and in and, and that part of your body. So when you are actually activating more muscle on leg day than any other day of the week, it's actually the best thing you can do for your body is to not skip leg day. But, we, but it's skip it because it's not great. <laughs> Here's how it relates. It, it, it looks odd when someone has an overdeveloped upper body and an underdeveloped lower body. Here's what Paul's saying. Be careful that you do not become an overdeveloped hearer of the word and an underdeveloped doer of the word. Do not be, listen, this is, this is not true for everybody because some of you in here, like you're, 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 you're doing and hearing is in alignment. Some of you are newer to faith. But maybe there are some of you in this room, and I've been now following Christ for a long time, and this can happen. Here's what I found. There's a temptation the longer you follow Christ, and here's what it looks like. Is we can think to ourselves, man, I just need a fresh revelation. I need a fresh revelation of God's word. Sometimes what you need is not a fresh revelation of God's word. It's to do the word he's already revealed to you. You don't need another word. You need to do what he's already told you to do. I don't need a revelation. I need to forgive more. I don't need a fresh word. I need to grow in self-control. I don't need, God, I don't need another podcast, another teaching. Listen, you need to read the word. That's clear. But sometimes what you need is actually to do what you already know to do. The Bible actually says knowledge without application puffs up. Puffs, it makes you prideful because you think, well, I know it. And be careful because knowing the word is very different than doing the word. 
And sometimes you can actually deceive yourself into maturity thinking I'm actually farther along than I actually am because you know this well. But here's, my, here, here's a litmus test. The people around you, if they didn't, before they, they know through your words that you're a follower of Jesus, can they see the fruit of his spirit in your life? Can they see the work of God in your life through the application of the word of God? Leonard Ravenhill, he's an evangelist. He said this, maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. It's from doing the word. You know, the U.S. Center for Bible Engagement did a study in 2020. It was a meta-analysis. They looked at multiple studies where they looked at what are the number one factors, what are the number one practices. You know, there are different spiritual practices we have, right? There's reading the Bible, there's prayer, there's coming to church, there's serving, there's being in community, there's lots of disciplines. There's, I mean, we could keep confession, worship, all these and he said, what's the, what's, the, what's the top spiritual practice that leads to spiritual growth in our life? And out of all of the meta-analysis, here's what they found. The number one factor that if you want to grow spiritually this year, here's what they found, is you read the Bible every day. I said, that's the number one factor. If you want to grow in 22, 2022, you read the scriptures every single day. They found that those who read the Bible um, four or more times a week, Report less feelings of bitter, or yeah, feeling less bitter, feeling less discouraged for those who read the scriptures four uh, or more times a week. If you look at the studies, Barna, uh, who they're a, a Christian research company, and last year they did a study of, of Bible engagement. Here's what they found that 25% of adults in the United States of America read their Bible one time or less a week. Please hear this there's no condemnation. But here's what I want to encourage you with. The research affirms what the word of God says. Extreme satisfaction, joy is found in reading the word of God. Place a high value on the word of God. Here's point number two. is in prioritize God in every area of my life. He says the Lord God is one. Now, to give you context of what he was saying here in this moment is he was speaking to a culture in the Near East. They had many little G gods. It was very common. Uh, in fact, he references it later in the scriptures. They had a god. That they had literally like hundreds of gods. Um, they had a god of storms, a god of wind, a god of wisdom, a goddess of love, a god of the sun, a goddess of healing. In true story, they had a goddess of weaving. I didn't know that. A goddess of weaving. But they had all these different gods, and here's why they had all these different gods. They even had some gods that were the, that were the gods of the same thing. They had like a god of water and wind and a god of water. And here's why they had all these gods, because their gods were not reliable. So if Tom didn't show up that day and they needed rain, they called upon Tim. <laughs> because their gods weren't reliable. Like, because they're false gods. They weren't there. So when he says, the Lord your God is one, he is saying, listen, in following our God, there is no other God you will ever need. He is faithful when you're faithless. He, he will fulfill every single one of us. He is good to you when you do not deserve it. That's who he is. That's what he was saying to them. And then he goes on to talk about how they've been blessed. Because at this point, Israel was experiencing prosperity. They were, they were uh, doing well. They were successful. They were um, prosperous materially. There was lots of blessing on their life. In verse 13, he gives a warning. I want us to receive today. 
He says this, fear the Lord your God, serve him only. Everyone say only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, little g gods, the gods of the people around you. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, but Jeremy, it's not relevant to us because we don't have little g gods. We don't have a god of thunder or a goddess of healing. And, and whereas we may not have the same gods of the Near East, another word for little g gods is idols. And can I present before you today, I do believe we have some little g gods in 2022, United States of America. You know what it comes in the package of? The pursuit of wealth at the expense of everything else. The pursuit of success at work or education. I think a God in our culture, even I would say here in the Washington area, I think is success. I think people pursue success at the cost of everything else. Pursue wealth at the cost of everything else. Do you know what also can be a little G-God, if we're not careful? is our children. Like, I, I've seen people that they, they will, with their children, they will center their life around their child as if their child is God. Can I tell you, children are a blessing from the Lord, but he is the Lord. That's why he says, fear God only. Listen, God has no problem with your success. God does have a problem when success has the throne of your heart. He has no problem with wealth, not at all. He has a problem when wealth has your heart. And there are signs in your life that perhaps there are things, anything that encroaches upon your relationship with God, anything that you ever say no to God, or you disobey his word in that area, that might be an area creeping into the role of little g God in your life. It can look like this. And I've actually been there before, where work is so busy. And there's, there's seasons of work where I know, I know some of you in this room, there's, there's, there's a season where it's 16 hours, 18 hours a week, and, or 18 hours a day, and you, you're really busy. I understand that. But when, when a season becomes a pattern, and all of a sudden your pursuit of success at work or education all of a sudden, you begin to, to no longer give God the first of your day and spend time in prayer with him. Do you know one of the greatest sign, signs of pride in your life is a lack of prayer in your life? Because you know what you're saying? I don't need you, God. I got this. Do you know one of the bi biggest dangers in a prosperous culture like America is we can think to ourselves, we got this. We can think to ourselves, I'm smart. I work hard. And we got to remember, you are brilliant, but God is the one who actually created your mind. Yeah, yeah, you, you are talented, but God is the one who enables you to have the talents to make the money. It's getting quiet in this church. Are you following me? Be careful. These are the gods of our culture. They have power, power, wealth, status, education, success. Another way, and I'm going to step on some toes, but again, I have slippers on because I love you, is when you begin to allow things to take over, again, time with God. And please hear this. This isn't about religion. This is about a relationship. But any relationship has a rhythm of connection. Like, show me a, a marriage without a regular date, and I will show you over the course of time that marriage will begin to get unhealthy. Like, you need rhythms, and God's clear about seeking him, giving him the first. It's a principle of the first. Order matters. 
Case in point, how many of you are glad today that before the person sitting next to you came to church, they put on pants? Come on, somebody. Order matters. Like if you showed up to church and you had no pants on, but you said, I'm going to put them on after service, we say you need to get your rear end up out of this place. Come on, somebody. You can't be walking up in here without pants on. Order matters. And God, it, it matters. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God before success. Seek first God before wealth. Seek first God before your children's success. Another way is you can and, and, and begin to allow things to encroach upon worship, upon what we're doing today. You know, a common idol, I think, in this area as well, having children, is people will center their entire schedule around their kids. And be careful because your values become your kids' values. So if you say no to church and worshiping Christ on Sunday so they can play soccer, I know I'm stepping on some toes, but please hear this. Your child's spiritual development is far more important than their athletic development. It is. And I'll just say this. Your priorities, your values will become theirs. It does not matter what we teach. It matters how we live. So how are you prioritizing God? Examine your life. Again, there's no condemnation. I'm just calling us to what the word calls us to. Let me give you some simple practices. Many of you, I'm preaching to the choir. You practice this. But I'm going to give you three simple ways to prioritize God that are in the scripture. Number first, number one, is to give God the first of your day. Mark 135, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Can I tell you it's important? You have that rhythm in your life. If you've never started this or you're, you're not, you don't have a rhythm of this, a, a first kind of step, I call it the first 15. Just give God 15 minutes. Here's what I did for several years when I first started this. I actually put it in my calendar so I could not schedule anything else in that block. I did it before I worked out. I did it before. And listen, maybe you're a night person. Do it at night. But put it in your schedule first. And it's not religious. It's not like, let me see if I can just keep increasing time. God, I did more time. Am I good now? It's not that at all. It's just you put him first. You put him first. You give that first to your day. Can I say this to parents, too, for a moment? Your kids are watching what you do first. I remember as a young boy getting up, going to get some, some honey grams from the pantry. Come on, somebody. I can't eat honey grams. I'm almost 40 years old. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't communicate with me well. But I remember I'd get up to go get breakfast. You know what I'd see? I'd see my father in his office. My father worked in business. He also was a preacher kind of on the side. And I would see him before he went into work, and he worked long days sometimes, business. He was reading the word of God. He was, can I tell you, as a young boy, it left an impression upon me. Because I saw my dad before anything else. My dad sought God. Parents, your kids are watching. They're watching what you do first. They're watching what you prioritize. It matters in your life. It matters to them. Corey Tinboom says this, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. Can I say this too to parents? If you have kids or you care for children, is build this rhythm into their life at a young age. Like get a relevant Bible. There's tons of great kids' Bibles. We can help you find one. And read the Bible with them every day. Like, and there are some days, listen, if they're five years old, six years old, seven years old, maybe 14 years old, they may not want to read it. But we teach them this is something we do to honor God. 
because we submit to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Have a rhythm of time with God where it's prayer, Scripture. Secondly, give God the first of your week. I'm preaching to the choir today because you're doing that. You're here in church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. At that time was happening where people were, were, were getting comfortable, they were prosperous, and they were not meeting together. Their, their, their schedules started to get full. They started having brunch invitations on Sunday morning. Uh, all of a sudden, they're, they're, they started having travel baseball on Sunday morning. All of a sudden, they started having different social events. And he's, he's encouraging them. We don't know the author of Hebrews, most presumably the Apostle Paul. He's saying, listen, do not give up the meeting together. The first thing the church did when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, they gathered together. There's something, church, so they're gathering together. The early church's practices since its inception. The Bible says in Acts, they met together in the temple daily. Our rhythm is weekly. I want to challenge you to prioritize. I know sometimes you have to work. It's beyond your control. Sometimes things come up beyond your control. But prioritize. Again, it's not religious. It's to worship our king. D.L. Moody, an evangelist and theologian, said this, Church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Can I tell you, it's in the presence of God. Jesus said, where two or more gather in my name, I am in their midst. There's something to when we gather together that the presence of God manifests differently than we're by ourselves. It's scriptural. There's something different when we come together to lift up Jesus. It does something to our spirit. In Hebrews, he says, encourage one another. Can I encourage you as well on Sundays? Make a day of it, meaning this. If you're able to, arrive a little early, check your kids in, grab some coffee, talk to some people. Encourage one another. If you're able to, hang out 10 minutes, 15 minutes after service. Get to know some people. Pray for some people. Encourage, allow yourself to be encouraged by others. As D.L. Moody says, it's like the transfusion of blood to a sick person is the gathering together of believers. This is why we don't just do this. If you didn't know this, I want to just, just, some may not know this, that the gathering for worship every week isn't an American thing. It's not a cultural thing. It's a biblical thing. Can I get an amen? Like, it's not, oh, we just do it because it's what we do. No, nope. We do this because the word of God instructs us to do so, and it's best for us. Give God the first of your day. Give God the first of your week. Lastly is give God the first of your finances. Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing, which tithe simply means the first 10% of our income, is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. It's about being first. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. You all are a generous people. But it's, it's saying, God, I'm putting you first. That before I put my mortgage or my rent or my Netflix or my clothing or my groceries into my budget, and so I'm saying what we do, it's the first thing in our budget line to God. You want to know why? Because he's my provider. And can I tell you this? He's your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. So we put him first, say, God, everything comes from you. And this is a way, again, he doesn't say everything is his. But he says, put me first in your finances. And can I say this, parents, when appropriate, Talk to your kids about this. 
Just this week, someone in their 40s told me, um, they remembered growing up, they were talking about their mother for Mother's Day, and she said, I still remember my mom, when she got paid, the first thing she'd do, she broke out that checkbook. Remember checkbooks? <laughs> and she wrote her tithe check. At 40 years old, it still has impressed upon her. The first thing her mom did. She said, my mom's out in, my 80, in her 80s. You know the first thing she does in her 80s? She breaks out that checkbook. Can I tell you? Parents, your kids are watching what you value. And how you spend your money communicates your values to your children. Jesus said this in Acts 20, 35. They're quoting Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed means makarios. It means you're happy. You're happier when you give than when you receive. I love when research affirms what God's word says. The, the book, The Paradox of Giving, sociologist from Notre Dame in 2014, it's the most comprehensive giving study ever done. They wrote a whole book on it. And they found there's a correlation between better mental health and generosity. They've actually found through uh, functional MRI scans that actually giving releases oxytocin, it releases dopamine, and it releases endorphins in our brain. You want to know why? Because God created us to be generous. God is a generous God, and we were made in his image. Here's my last and final point. So place a high value on the word of God. Prioritize God in every area of your life. Last point is then pass along my faith to the next generation. He says, impress them the word of God on your children. Talk about the word when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie, write them on the door frames of your houses. In other words, he says, have a system of how you impress your faith upon your kids. Mom, dad, have a system to how you impress your faith upon your kids. You probably have systems for how you get them up in the morning and get them ready for school. You probably have systems for how you get them to bed at night. And if you're like the Burroughs household, sometimes those systems go haywire. Come on, somebody. Ask for you need the Holy Spirit. Come on. You're like, in Jesus' name, go to sleep. Uh... Sorry, I got distracted now. Get back and but have, a, have, a, have a system. Have a system. Maybe for it's, 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 it's at night before you go to bed, we read your Bible together. Maybe it's in the morning on the way to school, we pray together. Maybe it's at home at dinner time, we, we talk about your day. And, 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 and for parents, here's an encouragement I would give you is as you're talking, uh, we try to practice with our kids, as you talk about their day and they're navigating different life circumstances, like a kid at school maybe was... They had some conflict, or maybe there was an issue they disagreed with their teacher. When you're instructing and correcting, ground what you're saying in the words of God. To say, hey, hey, here's why we, we honor our teachers. Not because it's the right thing to do, because God instructs us to honor authority in our life. You begin to lead them on how to live a life that's honoring God. Have a rhythm. And for those who don't have children in the room, I would encourage you, there's a number of things you can do. Number one is pray for the children in your life. Pray for the children here at Catalyst Church. Um, also, uh, one practical way. We already had a, a number of people join or take this step in the first service. Is serve on, with our next generation ministries. Can I tell you, one of the most fruitful things you can do is to serve in a kid's classroom. 
Can I tell you, our kids, I know for me personally, our kids come home, they soak up what they're taught in that classroom. In fact, can we do this? I think we did it earlier. I want to do it again. Can we honor our next-gen kids ministry, student ministry teams? Gabby Del Cid, our next generation director, is going to be right out here. There's a table. And you can go talk to her and get connected to, it, to the team, uh, our kids ministry or our student ministry. Whether you can serve once a month, every other Sunday, or whenever you're available, I'm telling you, that's a way you can help to impress the faith upon children. We can also, I think it starts with, though, first we've got to prioritize the next generation. You know, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let me give context to this passage. These children were coming up to Jesus, and his disciples were saying they were holding them back. Let me give you context. In that culture, the most vulnerable and oppressed population were children. They had no rights. Um, they, had, they, they, were, they, were, they had no voice. And Jesus in this moment said, listen, no, let them come to me, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Can I tell you this? As a followers of Jesus, as people who follow the words of God, we don't take our cues from culture on how to value children. We take our cues from Jesus on how to value children. And can I tell you, Jesus valued children. And can I just say this? Children today are the most vulnerable population in our culture. Do you want to know why? They have no voice. They have no resource. You know what the word of God commands us to do? To be their voice. To be their advocate. So you know what that starts with? In our hearts. I'm going to prioritize the next generation. Amen? Secondly is pray for them. Pray for the next generation. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Can I tell you, the power of prayer, let me speak to both parents and non-parents. First is parents. The one of the most powerful things you can do for your kids is to pray for your children. I'm just going to tell you what I do. And listen, please hear this. I get a lot wrong. And I, have not, I don't always get this right. But I try every night before my kids. The last thing I do with my children before I, I, after this, I kiss them and they go to bed. Not always go to bed. Sometimes they stay up too long. But I do this. As I lay my hands, I bless them. Can I say, parents, if nothing else you take from the day, I would encourage you to do this. I lay my hands on their face and I bless them in the name of Jesus. And here's a prayer I pray every single day over my children that you will know God at a young age and you will follow him all of the days of your life. And can I tell you this? I'm going to pray right now. I pray for every child of Catalyst Church that they will know God at a young age and they will follow him all the days of their life. They will never stray away from him in his word in Jesus' name. Your prayers are powerful, Mom. Your prayers are powerful, Dad. If you're not a parent, your prayers are powerful. Pray for the children in your life, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, kids. And pray they will follow God all of the days of their life. Here's the last application of this point, and the worship team can come, is in participate in the development of the next generation. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up the child in the way he should go. So even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now, I used to read this passage and think to myself, okay, I need to train up my children. I need to, I need to be intentional about training my kids. But as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, we're actually training our children whether we realize it or not because they're watching us. Even if I never say anything directly to them, they're watching my life. They're, they're taking notes. They're valuing what I value in my life. So, so it's not about whether or not we are training them. It's are we doing it intentionally. You know, I was thinking about this because as a child, so I grew up about 40 minutes north of Baltimore and, uh, in Maryland, and my entire family were Baltimore sports fans. Like, when I, when I grew up, the Baltimore Colts were not in Baltimore, but I heard stories from my uncles and my father about the Baltimore Colts. I think that's why I didn't like the city of Indianapolis most of my life, because they took the Colts from Baltimore. Come on. Um, I've forgiven them. I just don't trust them. No, I'm just kidding. But, but we grew up, like, the, the Orioles, like, we were Baltimore. Like, my dad never sat me down and said, hey, son, we are Baltimore sports fans. Never, not to my knowledge, but I saw it. Like, we rooted for the Orioles. And, and then when the Ravens came to town, it was like without a question, we cheer for the Baltimore Ravens. In fact, I have, this is the first thing my, my dad bought when the Ravens came in, into Baltimore. He bought me this Ray Lewis jersey. Um, and I wore it literally every Sunday for years when I'd watch the game. Um, and, and this was like a no-brainer to me. Like when, when the Ravens came to Baltimore, it's like we root for the, for the Ravens. Like this is what we do. And as I was thinking about that, I thought to myself that I was never told to cheer for the Ravens. I was never given instructions on how to cheer for the Ravens. I, I became a Baltimore Ravens fan because my father was a Ravens fan. And I watched him cheer for Baltimore teams. In the same way, in my faith as well, I watched him. I watched my mother. My mom watches service. I love you, mom. I honor you. I, I watched them love God. Like, I, I watched them pursue God. And they did intentionally impress their faith upon me. And it, and it has changed my life. And I am forever grateful. And I want to challenge us today, everyone in the room. First, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, to keep being intentional about training your child in the ways of God. Like, like, impress your faith upon them. Like, talk to them about your own faith. Read the scriptures together. Bring them to church together. And let me just say this, too, and I, I say this in love. But when I grew up, anybody else when you grew up, you were drugged to church? Come on, somebody. You had some Sundays. You didn't decide whether or not you go to church. They just brought you to church. Come on. Can I tell you, six-year-old Jeremy didn't think correctly. I'm glad my mother brought me to church even when I didn't want to go to church. You don't get up tomorrow on Monday morning. You don't say, hey, son, do you want to go to school today? No. He'd be like, get your rearing up because you got to go to school. Can I just tell you, parents, like, listen, lovingly lead your kids to church. It will do so much for them spiritually. And the most important role you have is not to raise them to be a great athlete, not to raise them to be a great student, not to raise them to be a great student, is that they would know God. Because this life is a vapor. Eternity is forever. 
do those things, but not at the expense of this. Have a system. And again, if you, if you don't have children, pray for the children in your life. Invest in the children of your life. Again, very practically today, join the Next Gen Ministries. They'll be out in the lobby. But, but let's be intentional of investing in the Next Gen. I read my final scripture, Deuteronomy 6.24. Moses closes a chapter with this. He says, The Lord commanded us to obey all these degrees, to fear the Lord our God, so that, here's the promise, will always prosper. That word prosper means, I want you to hear this, the word prosper in the Hebrew means for God to push you forward. Here's what they say. Hey, remember, keep God first. He will push you forward. Hey, mom, dad, put God first, and God will push your kids forward. We want the hand of God on our kids' life. I want the hand of God on every member of the next generation's life, and we have a responsibility to play. We place a high value on the Word of God. We make sure God is first in our life, and we're intentional about passing our faith along.